Thinking about your next professional development opportunity? An executive MBA at the Montfort University's Leicester Castle Business School may be it. This two-year course focuses on traditional business functions like strategy, leadership, and finance, as well as contemporary sources of competitive advantage, including social mission and sustainability. Our executive MBA program is an excellent means of accelerating your management aspirations, signaling your readiness to lead at a higher level, and future-proofing your organization. To find out more, follow the link in this podcast description or visit nsirc.com forward slash EMBA. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TWI Innovation Network podcast. In this episode, Dave Robson from NEPIC joins Abbas Mahimi to discuss net zero challenges to industry on regional clusters. That's what's to come. We hope you enjoy the show. Mohimi and welcome to TWI Innovation Network podcast. For those of you who did who are not familiar with TWI, just a quick introduction. TWI is a research and technology organization headquartered in Cambridge with offices in Wales, Teesside and Yorkshire and uh, with a number of international uh, offices. We exist to serve our industrial members with over 700 industrial members companies across 70 countries we have a unique insight in what challenges they face. By far one of the biggest challenges industries facing is climate change. TWI is currently engaged in many interesting projects with our members and partners to develop solutions for electrification, small modular reactors, digital asset management, renewables, and many, many other areas to try and support industry to accelerate development of clean technologies. In this series, we are discussing net zero. And on today's episode, we are joined by our guest, Dave Robson from NEPIC to talk about importance of regional clusters. Dave is technical director of Northeast Process Industry Cluster. NEPIC is a non-for-profit organization that supports the need and interests of chemical processing sector in the Northeast of England. Essentially, they exist to ensure industry in this region thrives and that they have an invest they have investments innovations and network that will create jobs and opportunities long into the future dave um just a welcome to the show um thank you for agreeing to take part i'll just do a quick uh, introduction to yourself or or if you'd like to in fact introduce yourself uh, okay thanks morning abbas good morning everyone um I'm the technical director at NEPIC. Um, prior to joining NEPIC, I had a 28-year background in the steel industry, mainly around operations engineering, um, around energy utilities, and I joined NEPIC about four years ago. Um, I became involved in activities to decarbonize the region over seven years ago when I was in the steel industry. 
um, we were involved in the Teesside Collective project, which sought to develop a CCS project around industrial emitters in the region. Brilliant. Dave, thank you very much. Uh, um, today we're discussing net zero challenges and in particular emphasis on uh, regional clusters. Um, obviously, Dave, with uh, you working with NEPIC, I think uh, um, Northeast is very much uh, in, in, in your uh, uh, interest and, and, and maybe uh, I think it will be very interesting for our listeners uh, to find out more about uh, Northeast and why it is a, is a, a cluster. Um, so could you give us some uh, interesting facts and figures as to why uh, um, Northeast can play a significant role in uh, decarbonizing industry and being a leader in this, uh, in this field? Yeah, I think it's important to realize that a lot of the industry on the northeast and in particular Teesside is in quite a small radius. So we have a lot of different emitters and a lot of different um, producers, but all in quite a short radius, which makes doing something quite a bit easier. But also we um, produce over 50% of the foundation chemicals from the UK. They're manufactured on Teesside and 33% of UK pharmaceuticals are manufactured in the Northeast. Um, we add about 843 million to the UK's GVA and employ approximately 7,600 people across 230 businesses. We have um, a significant input to the UK in terms of um, gross value added of around £110,000 per full-time employee and significantly 38% of all processed chemical and energy GVA is generated in the northeast region. And we are one of the only two regions in the UK to have a net trade surplus, but, but more specifically, we have um, a number of common challenges across the region. We're not just talking chemicals, we're talking manufacturing in general. Um, so we work very closely together as a sector within the region to address the common challenges, to address and, and promote the region. And I, I guess that's one of the reasons we're here today and we're talking about decarbonisation as well. Absolutely, that's right. That, that's really interesting. Um, I think um, uh, the northeast uh, has a significant role to play uh, and and some of the uh, facts you mentioned are very interesting so um what role do you think uh, uh side uh, could play your cluster could play and and do you think that uh, in in helping uk achieve its emission targets uh, what what do we have to do and um to be world leaders and be ahead of competition uh, in this area yeah, I think very much so. We can achieve the emission targets and we can be world leaders. We do need to do something. That is one of the key things. We need to do something about decarbonising. We need to do it now and we need to do it um, efficiently and effectively. So as a region, um, we have been talking um, both with industry, with academia and with government for a long time about 
the opportunities and also the barriers around decarbonising. And we need to make that start now. But equally, we need to implement things in a way that not just promotes the environmental sustainability of the businesses in the region, but also its commercial sustainability. So we need to make sure that government policies, um, government strategy and models works with industry to not only help decarbonize the region, but also to ensure that jobs and competition are retained within the region. And equally, decarbonization and the technologies and the knowledge is a source of income and we can become world leaders and actually export that knowledge, export that um, technology and become world leaders. Thank you, Dave. That, uh, definitely. Um, uh, I think in terms of, you mentioned obviously um, decarbonisation uh, and, and I, I think your cluster, the Northeast cluster is well positioned. What are the key technologies uh, to enable decarbonisation uh, in particular where uh, your, in your sort of engagements and discussions with industry and, and the cluster that you're involved in? I'm sure we will touch on carbon capture storage and utilisation a bit later, but I think it's very important to realise that industry has been looking to decarbonise and to reduce energy costs for a number of years. And it's been doing this probably pretty much since industry was created in terms of reducing energy costs, energy emissions. And there's a number of existing technologies out there things such as energy efficiency, um, heat integration, working closely with neighboring sites in what's termed industrial symbiosis. So sharing waste heat, sharing product streams, making sure that overall we minimize the impact and maximize the benefits to those. And that's one of the benefits of a cluster. It's much easier to do those things when sites are in close proximity and have good communications with each other. Equally, we're seeing a number of emerging technologies which have been adopted in some cases and are looking to be adopted in others. So probably the one that will make the, the, the biggest overall impact on the UK and globally in terms of decarbonisation is carbon capture storage utilisation. And it's something that's actively been looked at in the region. We have a number of projects exploring CCS. Um, we have also quite a range of technology and know-how in the region about bioprocessing. So one of the other options is to, to say, we'll change the way we do things. And rather than do things using hydrocarbons as a feedstock, can we move to bioprocessing and use bio-based feedstocks? You will have heard a lot around hydrogen as well. Now, hydrogen's already used um, in some of our um, uh, production plants in the cluster as a feedstock. So it's used as a chemical feedstock um, as part of the production processes. Some plants also use it as a source of heat if they happen to have surplus. But we are seeing more and more um, move to use hydrogen, both as a replacement for natural gas in heating but also as a replacement for petrol and diesel in vehicles and in transport. Um, we have common with the rest of the, the UK, 
an increasing drive to renewables. We have wind um, turbines um, already off the, off the coast of Redcar. And the Dogger Bank um, project, which is going to be one of the world's biggest wind farms, will be actually feeding into Teesside as well. Yeah. So electrification is also one of the opportunities to help decarbonize. Um, there yeah. are a whole range of technologies and it's about picking the correct tool for the correct application. Yes, absolutely, Dave. You touched on a number of things that we will will come back to in a minute in terms of um, hydrogen and wind and electrification. But I think the first one I'd like to ask a little bit more information about. Maybe be interesting to our listeners in terms of um, where where uh, we are in terms of the current technologies with carbon capture and storage. And uh, you also mentioned, uh, obviously, not uh, the the uh, policy and uh, economical angle as well um, the, 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 that need to be in place in order for this technology to be fully utilized and commercialized. So um, first of all, what, uh, where, uh, where are we with carbon capture and storage, do you think, and what, what sort of current technology, uh, technological barriers are there to, uh, to over, overcome? Yeah, we, we have in the region already carbon capture operating. So some of our members actually remove carbon dioxide from the um, process. Um, they sell some of it. We actually ship CO2 um, to other regions around the world. But the problem with that is that there isn't a sufficient market for CO2 to make it possible to capture all the CO2 as currently exists. So you've probably heard definitions and things floating around about uh, CCS or CCSU. Um, it might be easiest just to, to kind of break it down to what it is quite simply. So essentially it's, it's capturing the, the carbon dioxide from a process, um, compressing it, transporting it and then storing it. And in this country where we, we tend to talk about is, is undersea storage. So it's in disused aquifers or um, oil wells off the coast. Um, we have a number of techniques to capture CCS, sorry, capture CO2. Um, we can either capture it in the flue gases or we can capture and remove the CO2 before it's actually used in the process and use hydrogen. Um, the interesting issues around it are more economical and more um, policy than reg regards the technology. As I've mentioned, we already capture CO2 um, in the region. We capture it from one of the plants producing um, ammonia nitrate fertilizers. We have globally um, used CO2, stored it underground, and not only that, but also used it. And that's one of the key challenges which you will, you will start seeing become more and more important. The actual utilization of the CO2 we capture and what can we do with it? How do we, how do we use it as a, as a fuel or a feedstock and make some real value from that? 
the technolo technological challenges um, are importantly keen to make sure that when we, we do things, we do things safely, and we do things efficiently. Um, as, a, as a region, as a process sector, we have handled um, lots of things such as CO2, hydrogen, even cyanides, which have safety you know, concerns, and we will um, use those, manage those safely. And we've developed a lot of expertise within the region about handling, managing, and running processes that have concerns, hazards, and, and CO2 is, is similar to those. Economically, it's a, it's a different um, issue. We have um, opportunities to capture CO2, to use CO2, but fundamentally the, the, the problem is we have more CO2 that can be captured than can be used. And there needs to be some method of maintaining the um, commercial competitiveness of companies where they are actually having increased costs to um, operate compared to those in other places of the world where CO2 um, is not so regulated, where the cost structures make it much easier for people to operate and where we have those problems, then that's where policy is needed. And that's where the government is looking um, already to look at what the policy challenges are, to see what is needed to make um, CCSU um, real, to make sure that it can be commercialized and to make sure that it works in conjunction with the, the other policies around energy, the other environmental policies, but fundamentally that the UK um, can take advantage of this technology, can grow, can sustain jobs and meet the obligations around environmental sustainability. And as a region, we are, we are working with government on that, both ourselves and the combined authority and also Net Zero Teesside, um, which you may have heard about previously, are engaging with the government to look at business models. Um, one of the key, very, very exciting things in the region is, is Net Zero Teesside, um, which is a um, project um, looking to build a, a natural gas-fired power station, significant-sized power station with 750 megawatts net production, but equipped with carbon capture. And equally, there will be an onshore storage network, associated, sorry, transport network associated with that, which will be extended to enable industry within the region to feed any CO2 it captures into that. And then all the CO2 will be stored in the, in the North Sea, in the endurance um, area, which is one of the key areas that's been assessed for CO2 storage for a number of years now. Um, that gives us some real opportunities in the region, not just in terms of decarbonizing power generation, but also being able to decarbonize the region and the industrial emitters in the region. And we will be able to hit net zero within the region and the industrial by using CCS technology, if the business models are there, 
So we have some great opportunities in the region to become a net zero industrial cluster. We are working with other companies, we are working with other regions, with government and also technology providers and universities to be able to do that. But I think the biggest thing that that brings to the region is it brings and maintains the technology leadership, not just within the region, but in the UK as a whole. So we've done lots of things in the UK. We've been world first in so many things. And I think this is another opportunity where we have the ability to become leaders and to attract inward investment and to create export opportunities for companies within the region. Absolutely. Yeah, yes, thank you for that, uh, Dave. That was uh, uh, very interesting. Um, uh, and uh, in terms of uh, something else that you just touched on earlier, um, there is a, a interesting stat here, which which was uh, around um, hydrogen. Uh, Northeast produces fifty percent of UK's commercially available hydrogen. That's uh, uh, you know that's that's it's very interesting. What what role do you think that hydrogen can play in 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 the region and the, in the energy mix and uh, uh, in UK? So yes, we we already produce hydrogen in the region. Um, Currently, it's used as a feedstock, principally, um, to chemical processes in the region. So as well as hydrogen production plants, you know, on a significant scale, on a, a world-class scale, we also have an infrastructure, um, a hydrogen network across the um, industrial clusters. And we also have um, storage caverns where hydrogen can be stored. Now that is, is currently hydrogen that is produced for your natural gas. But equally, if we have a CCS network and capture storage network within the region, we can capture that CO2 and then store it in the um, storage sites. So then that becomes essentially decarbonized hydrogen. Equally, we have quite a lot of renewables already within the region and also planned within the region and together with energy from waste, you know, plants. That means we're going to be quite a electricity rich region. And some of the problems associated with using renewables and wind power is how um, hard it is to produce electricity consistently and to accurately meet demand. So we can use technologies such as electrolysis to actually use that um, wind when the surplus electricity available to produce hydrogen, which we could then either use in the existing processes, we could store in hydrogen caverns, or equally it could be fed into the, the, the national gas grid network. So we could replace natural gas with hydrogen and obviously when hydrogen burns, it produces water. It doesn't produce CO2. So that helps decarbonize the domestic consumers across the UK. Equally, there's, there's lots of work going on um, around hydrogen as a transport fuel. Um, we have hydrogen cars, we have some hydrogen uh, um, refilling stations across the UK. And the local authorities, not just working on hydrogen for cars and for heavy vehicles and trucks and lorries, but equally for trains. 
So we have a capability there to actually help decarbonize the transport sector as well. And one of the things which is of benefit in the Northeast and particularly around the industrial clusters is we have a lot of vehicles, you know, lorries moving around, doing a lot of mileage between the various sites, between the ports, but not actually traveling that far away from them. So it makes refilling stations much more practicable. There's a lot of mileage, but not that much distance. So that makes it quite an effective region as well. Um, we have already significant players in the technology within the, within the region around hydrogen production. We have knowledge and expertise within the region about using, producing and transporting hydrogen. So I think when we look at hydrogen globally, the UK and particularly the Northeast have some significant advantages and some significant strengths, which we've, we've got to shout about a bit more. Historically, we're quite uh, laid back, quite shy of actually seeing how good we are in the UK, how good we are in the Northeast. And if we do that, we really surprise ourselves about how much we have in terms of knowledge, technology, expertise and opportunities. Dave, what what um, sort of um, engagement and, and interest are you seeing from uh, industry? Because obviously this is not something that can be achieved just by um, UK government or, or government's funding. The development very much needs to be bought in by industry and driven uh, by industry. What, what are your um, interactions from your cluster and, and your network uh, telling you? The network as a whole is very interested in, in decarbonisation. I mean, we have had a, a group meeting looking at decarbonisation for several years now, and that's always been well attended. And the key technologies which are explored there are things like heat integration, um, district heating where there's surplus heat available, um, carbon capture storage utilisation, and also hydrogen. Um, and we have many interesting discussions around hydrogen, not just in terms of being one of the tools in a toolbox to decarbonize, but also around some of the problems that it might create. Um, so it's not a simple case of changing from natural gas to hydrogen. There's a lot of work around what's known as safety cases and safety reports for coma. So the, the whole risk assessments and operating uh, philosophies need to be reviewed for, for sites. Economically, um, th there are obviously issues with hydrogen because it is much more expensive um, to produce than, than electricity. Essentially, you are either using natural gas or you are using renewable electricity and then, and then processing it. So the costs are higher. Um, because most of the sector operates globally and is in, in a, a marketplace that is globally competitive, that's a significant issue because you can't easily pass those costs on to the end user. Um, so equally, there's, there's discussions going on with the government about business models and opportunities. 
Um, how do we make it such that it is possible to decarbonize and remain commercially you know, sustainable? Um, equally, what are the opportunities that might not be from the others? So it's picking the best, the best tool from the toolbox for the best application. Um, we have, you know, we have quite a big toolbox. We have opportunities. Um, some people might call them problems, but I kind of like to think of them as opportunities. Um, and we can do it. There's nothing, you know, that I've seen that cannot be overcome with everybody working together. And I think the key thing we are seeing is we are seeing everybody starting to work together now. We're seeing industry, we're seeing governments, we're seeing regulators, and we're seeing academia all looking to address this problem. And you know, I've seen a lot of announcements in recent times from the government that just show how important this subject is to them. And Absolutely. we look forward to working with them to, to make these things a reality. Hi everyone, it's Hannah here from NSERT. I just wanted to pop on here to give you a brief update of the MSc courses that NSERC and our partnering universities will be recruiting for and hosting this year. First up, we have our Senior Leader Executive MBA Apprenticeship. The first cohort for that started in September last year and is going extremely well. So we're very much looking forward to doing the second cohort with De Montfort University, which starts in October this year. Secondly, we've got our MSc in Engineering Leadership and Management course that is in with partnership with Aston University and also starts in October this year. A new course to us in 2021, which we are all very excited about, is the MSc in Artificial Intelligence. This is in partnership with Essex University. Um, there are some brief details on our website. So if you are interested in this, and I expect it to be extremely popular, please head over and have a look at those details. Um, we've also got the Brunel MSc courses, which will have two intakes per year, one of which is the MSc in Structural Integrity. The next is the MSc in Oil and Gas Engineering. We also have, um, which is coming soon, MSc in Lightweight Structures and Impact Engineering. For any of the information on any of the courses, you can find that on our NSERC website. And if you have any questions or queries, please email the inquiries at ncerc.co.uk email. Dave, in terms of obviously um, uh, hydrogen, that's a very important area and and there are you mentioned opportunities um obviously safety uh, a lot of the safety aspects come come to mind but um with development of um new and novel sensing solutions and 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 uh iot uh, 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 solutions uh, i'm sure we can overcome uh, a lot of uh, that in terms of uh, monitoring uh the the assets that, that are either storing and, and uh, transporting hydrogen. Um, so, uh, and also there's a lot of knowledge already that exists around uh, the, uh, you know, how hydrogen uh, sort of uh, interacts with materials. So, but do you think that um, in, in terms of 
transport and 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 storage of hydrogen we can utilize some of the in existing infrastructure or or um a lot of work needs to be done to develop uh, new um assets i think it depends what we're talking about so industrially we already within the region have quite a developed uh, infrastructure around hydrogen have been using hydrogen safely for decades we have you know we've, we've not grown lax we keep reviewing the safety precautions and keep improving as, as technology improves using the um the national natural gas grid does pose some challenges it does pose some challenges about when you are you know piping it into your house when you are replacing your current natural gas supply with hydrogen it does create some challenges but those challenges are able to be overcome there's quite a lot of work being done already looking at what happens if you put natural gas into the existing uh, gas piping underground in the streets in the infrastructure what are the concerns what are the risks is there much risk of, of leakage? I don't think there's anything there being identified which is actually really a, a showstopper. I think it's very much where we need to be um, conscious of the risks. We need to, you know, yes, we need to do some things. But fundamentally, when we consider what we're already doing with our cars, with our houses, where we're putting in petrol and, and diesel into our cars and we're driving around with the, with them um, where we bring in natural gas into our houses and using that then hydrogen is different but it's not that much of a of a step up in risks we just need to be make sure that we understand the risks and we take the steps to control them yes thanks dave um my next question is around renewables and in particular offshore wind i think uh, uh our prime minister boris johnson was uh, uh mentioning that uh, uk could become the saudi arabia of offshore wind so uh, where where does where does the uh, northeast fit into the offshore wind picture of the uk do you think uh, what are the challenges uh, you're facing as a region as a cluster i think where we fit is, we're fitting very close to the heart of it. Um, we already have a um, wind farm off the coast of Red Cow, which is probably about a mile away from the industrial cluster. The Docker Bank wind, wind farm, which I've mentioned, is one of the world's largest, is going to have one of its feeds to come on shore, actually inside the cluster. So we have a lot of capability in terms of electricity produced via renewables. But equally, we have a lot of um, interest, involvement, and manufacturing capability that can be used to, to produce, to manage the offshore, offshore wind sector. And we've seen developments already within, within the region about producing equipment, technology for the offshore wind sector. Um, it fits in very, very closely with the industrial decarbonisation challenges. One of the options we can go down when we talk about technology is, is using electricity, where that is sensible and appropriate. But equally, one of the challenges it poses is in terms of its um, 
unreliability, the problems in forecasting generation. How do we make um, industry consumption, domestic consumption, and wind power generation actually match each other? How do we cope with that? And some of the options may be um, storage in batteries or storage in the form of hydrogen. And both of those are quite key to the, the process sector. The process sectors you know, involved in addressing both of those concerns. We have significant knowledge and we, we've already talked about hydrogen production, but equally in terms of the production of batteries and the materials which go into batteries and battery packs, the process sector is you know, quite key and, and that makes Teesside, again, a great opportunity. Yes, uh, definitely. Uh, Dave, in terms of the um, the offshore or the future uh, prospects in terms of offshore wind in the region, do you think that the region currently is set up in terms of skills needed and and the uh, the, the man, as a as a manufacturing base? What 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 needs to be put in place? Do you think uh, to support the um, the renewable uh, or the offshore wind sector? Uh, to grow uh, and attract more investment uh, in the region? I think in terms of the, the, the background of the Northeast, in terms of heavy engineering and shipbuilding, we have some great skill bases, we have some great knowledge there, which fits in with some parts of the, the manufacturing process in terms of foundations and areas like that. We have um, a significant skill base, which has experience of the process sector and of other uh, manufacturing environments but I think there is a need to actually um, improve that skill base and help it adapt and create more opportunities for people to get involved in the in the wind sector and the decarbonisation sector as a whole and I'm not just thinking there about typically the people you would think about so there's lots of opportunities there for lots of people who might not even consider it as a as a career, and I think we've got to get that messaging out there, and we've got to, you know, essentially push um, the STEM agenda, where that's talking about science and technology to, to school children, and actually helping people understand the opportunities, and the jobs which are out there as well, and that becomes just as critical for the offshore wind sector as it does for the rest of the process and manufacturing sector. Yes, absolutely. Dave, I think we've touched on a number of very interesting areas here in terms of the, the Teesside cluster from the carbon capture storage uh, uh, technologies to the potential for hydrogen uh, and, and offshore wind, uh, some of those that, that, that looking very promising for the region. Um, but uh, with, with the UK uh, set to host the 26th UN Climate Change Conference, uh, of the parties, COP26 uh, in Glasgow in November. Do you think, and, and obviously the uh, announcement of the 10-point plan and more recent Bayes white paper on uh, net zero, do you think enough is being done by the government to support clusters like Teesside? What, would you, what else would you like to see now to try and accelerate some of these exciting opportunities uh, for the region? I think the government you know, has been quite clear in terms of supporting 
and not just decarbonisation, but also industrial clusters. Ourselves, together with um, the other industrial clusters, have been talking to the government for, for several years now. We have, you know, discussed, engaged, the government's done a lot of thinking. I think the key thing that's now required is to actually accelerate the process and start delivering. And that's, you know, government policies, but, but equally, it's making sure that the other things associated with developing a project line up as well. So for example, the Net Zero Teesside project has already begun uh, public consultations for planning permission. Um, it's already engaging with government, with biz, with the health and safety and environment agencies to actually take these things forward. Um, we do we, we do think, you know, it's very positive that there's a lot of opportunities out there. Um, the government's put funding into a number of um, key areas, such as the um, industrial cluster decarbonisation challenge. So we need to we need to make sure that you know we both work together to deliver this. Um, and equally, we need to make sure that we don't just go it alone in terms of building one project. We need to make sure that we actually start something that is going to be replicable around the whole of the country. And that involves working with other organisations as well, organisations such as yourselves in terms of technologies, in terms of techniques which are needed. Um, we talked about skills, so it means working with universities, working with colleges, working with schools. Um, and I think, you know, is enough being done? I think if you asked me a couple of years ago, I'd have been quite negative on that one. Um, I'm feeling much more positive now. Um, and we've just got to make sure that this time we actually do deliver what we really say we're going to deliver and, and what we've said is vitally important, not just for the UK, but also for the, for the world in the future. So I think we, we do need to work with them. I think the key thing we need to do is keep talking. Um, I think it's you know, incumbent on ourselves, it's incumbent on the sector to keep talking to the government. Um, to keep explaining where we are, what's needed, and making sure that we actually come up with some sensible solutions. Um, and likewise for the government to, to do that. And I think that started, and I think, you know, it's very productive when there's actually a two-way conversation ongoing. Um, and, you know, I'm hopeful that will drive us through to a conclusion where we will actually become the first net zero industrial cluster that's uh, that's a very positive uh, note, I think, which which I think uh, 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 is uh, very promising. Um, and and I think with all of the uh, activities that you described that's happening in the region, uh, I'm also hopeful that we can achieve uh, uh, um, all of this. Um, Dave, uh, I mean, just to sort of wrap up, I mean, um, we we've discussed a number of things here, but what what does what do you think uh, in the next year or two? What, what are the potential benefits uh, if we're to achieve these uh, targets, do you think? I think we've historically always talked about the environmental benefits, about the climate change benefits of decarbonisation. 
Um, but I think it's equal to equally important to remember what it does mean in terms of technology, sustainability, what it means in terms of attracting inward investment and safeguarding jobs. I think if we become a true net zero leader, which we have the capability to do, we will not only help safeguard existing industries within the UK, but also be able to attract inward investment to attract new companies who are keen to be net zero, who are keen to uh, invest. Um, we will therefore create more jobs. We will create better opportunities. Um, we will see the opportunity as well to, to export uh, um, the technology, products and equipment around the globe. Now, we've, I've tried to avoid using the B word. Um, <laughs> however, we keep seeing positive and negative things about Brexit. But I think one of the important things is that regardless of whatever people believe in Brexit, if we have the ability to attract inward investment, if we have the ability to export more, that can only be good, not just for us, but for our sons, daughters and, and everyone else as well. So I think it's something that we will see significant benefits around achieving that zero. Fantastic. Dave, uh, thank you very much for your time. I think and with that, we, uh, uh, we should bring this episode to a close. Uh, but thank you very much uh, uh, to our guest, Dave Rothen. It was great talking to you and I hope this has been useful to our listeners. Thanks, Abbas. And with that, we've come to the end of this episode. Thank you very much to everyone for listening and in particular to our special guest, Dave Robson, for his time. For more information about Nepic, please visit their website at nepic.co.uk. And for more information on TWI Innovation Network, just visit twi-innovation-network.com. You can also connect with us on LinkedIn and Twitter. And we'd very much like to hear what you have thought about the podcast so far. So please leave that either on our social media or with our podcast provider. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye.